Greetings. Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic, cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy this show, please share it with a friend and say positive things about us on Twitter and Facebook. This is the biggest way podcasts grow. If you've not yet given us a five-star rating or review, pause this recording and give us a five-star rating and review. Follow us on Twitter and join our Facebook discussion group. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician, and this is my brother, Chris, a very popular Anglican priest. Chris, how are you? Kirk, I'm great. It's uh, It takes a lot of willpower to not interrupt you when you throw in interesting stuff uh, in, in your intro or even just the, the standard stuff. I, I often think of things like you mentioned the, the Facebook discussion group. Now I know that we are saying essentially the last word on like the definitive stuff on things like the Batman, right. And how I dare anyone argue with us, but I mean, I, I, I'm curious, like if anyone else, if our listeners saw it, I want to hear what you have to say about it. Uh, so I posted there. I was like, Hey, Anyone have thoughts on the Batman? Who wants to talk Batman? Um, let's have a dialogue. Hop on the discussion group. Let's talk Batman. Absolutely. The Batman. The it's, Batman. it's less clean. Um, Kirk, I have had the joy in the last two weeks of... Uh, so my daughter uh, plays the violin and is increasingly interested in it. Um, and... Uh, is flourishing. And I, what I realized is this is a perfect time to introduce her to the great symphonies. Nice. And rather than just listening, what I do is I, I pull them up on YouTube um, because she has an interest in just seeing, um, I mean, she has questions about all the different instruments. Yeah. And so in fact, the first thing I did is not, not even play a, a symphony, but I played uh, Benjamin Britten's The Young Person's Guide to an Orchestra. Always a go-to with kids. Yeah. Which is great on youtube it's, it's okay to listen to but when you play it on youtube you can actually see the instruments when they're featured right mm -hmm. oh here are the winds here, here's the percussion and 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 uh some of the youtube videos even like will be like here's the here's this theme here's the variation you know like giving names to things that you in your brain identify and we went from that to um to symphonies and so kirk i mean we did um dvorak's uh seven eight and nine uh we've done some brahms uh, Brahms uh, second, we did uh, Schubert's ninth, we did uh, Beethoven's uh, fifth, sixth, and seventh. Wow! Um, and guess what? I introduced her to on either Tuesday or Wednesday this week. Um, 
Dmitry Shostakovich. <laughs> no, I didn't jump there, Kirk. I introduced her to Anton Bruckner. Anton Bruckner. See? Yeah. Yeah. Herr Bruckner. Herr Bruckner. Uh, Bruckner's fifth uh, is, is where we started. Where, oh, gosh. Where, where, well, what, what do you start with? Symphony number zero? Fourth, the fourth. Okay. Okay. So, anyhow. And, and, and so, I mean, uh, it, so instead of being like, oh, here, listen to this theme passed from this instrument group to this on YouTube, you know, you see those instruments featured, like the, the camera pans to the, the instruments that are playing. And Kirk, it's just been a delight to share something I love um, with my daughter. And I yes. know that you've done this in the past, but like, this is not something that I had to force on her. So it's something that she is delighting in. Yeah, that is super cool. And uh, there's, there's something about um, once a child plays an instrument, mm -hmm. They take pride in ownership and they keep pointing out like, oh, they have the theme. They have the theme. They have the theme. So I see this with my sixth grade son with the French horn. Like anytime the horns pick up the theme, if I'm playing like a symphony <laughs> on YouTube, he's like, that's the horns. Or even when we're in the car, like listening on the radio, he's like, dad, dad, that's the horns. That's a great horn part. I'm like, yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> and for George, of course, it's easier with the trumpet. Like he plays the trumpet. So like you can always hear the trumpet, man. And, uh, and Bryden's acquired uh, low brass pride, properly so. Yeah, that's great. I, lo I, I love it. Yeah. It's fantastic. I, 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 took, I took, I don't know if, um, if I mentioned this here in this, in this form. I, I think I've shared, I shared pictures in Facebook posts and stuff. I took Bryden to the Pittsburgh Symphony, uh, like a Bryden daddy date, uh, like a month ago. We saw Bruckner's Seventh Symphony. Um, and I missed, I was going to take Simon to Mahler's First Symphony, Mm. which in my, in my head, I, I was waiting for the moment. It didn't work out. There were too many schedule conflicts, but do you remember what the horns do at the very end yes. of Mahler's first symphony? What do they do? They, they like tip up. Do they stand? They, stand. they, they stand. They yeah, stand. They stand. Yeah. So like Mahler-esque and so theatrical, like, and now and we will do, stand. Do they also like tip up like yes, the bells? They, yeah. They, so they stand they and tip, tip it up. It's like, yeah. like, <laughs> We're not only standing, we're like bum, pointing bum, this at you. Bum, 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 <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, one other cool feature of that is, is it the trumpets that start off stage? Like that's how they kind of mute In the them? first, yes. The first they're they're off stage. Yeah. Mahler uses off stage instruments all constantly. Yeah. But in the first, in the first movement, um, you have like bird calls. So you get like bird calls in the winds and then you get like an off stage trumpet. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and we're going to get, uh, we're, we're going to continue to be a bit super nerdy here, but, uh, <laughs> um, just as far as like interesting, interesting things, like, uh, like she, she'll notice on YouTube, like, what's, what's that? What's, you know, what's this, what's that, you know, and, and, and especially in like percussion, um, I can't wait to do, um, like one of the most underrated works and maybe, maybe I'm just wrong. Maybe everyone loves this, but like Ricard Strauss's Alpine symphony is yes. one of my favorite works. And it's I don't like even know what it's machine. Yeah. Is it, I don't know. What is that called? Like I, I want Jordan to see that. Yeah. I think that's what it's thing. called. Isn't it like a okay. wind machine? <laughs> but I mean, like the first time she sees that, she's going to be like, what in the world is that? <laughs> right. I'm Googling it right but there, now. Cause, cause that, that started fun discussions of just like interesting ways that, um, the composers will adapt instruments. Like, 
So he so uses she, cowbells. He uses okay. cowbells in um, to evoke like Bavarian mountain pastures in the Alpine okay. Symphony. Um, it's called a friction idiophone, which is a <laughs> also called an <laughs> aliophone. I'd have to. I'd have to. Look. And you like crank it, right? Yeah, you crank it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, listeners, Google, of... Google. Uh, what is it? Say say that name again. Friction Jeez. idiophone. Uh, friction idiophone, also called an aeoliophone. Aeoliophone. Yep. A, a mayonnaise phone. That's that's precisely it. it, it you have <laughs> you you spin the eggs, you whip the eggs, and then yeah, that's right. And then you get the wind machine. The but yeah, faster it's... the handle is turned, the higher the resulting pitch, and the louder the sound. Yes. And yep. and it, it is quite an effect. Like when you hear that, you're like, it's it's cool. It sounds like a storm. Yeah, I mean that's a yeah, whole cause, other because what, what what made me think of that was um she likes the um is it in Beethoven six is is, is the yes. fourth movement is that a thunderstorm is that what it's called or is it just a storm? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's 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 the storm, which or that's it's, a, it's kind of longer. Like, and then the fi- the fifth movement is like the people are happy because the storm is gone. <laughs> like, um, there's funny, funny to the deity after the departure of the storm. It's okay. like a real mouthful. It's something yeah. <laughs> like that. Um, yeah. What's it called? It's called like, um, like there's a uh, German word I'm sure for storm, like, um, that the storm, Gewitter, <laughs> storm, thunder, storm, <laughs> okay. storm. But yeah. Um, the last one is Frohe und dankbare Gefühl. I, we have German listeners, so I am not even going to try. <laughs> cheerful and thankful, cheerful and thankful feeling after the storm. Yeah, it's well, in a Kirk- string quartet that he names a movement actually um, Thanksgiving to the deity after the storm. And that is, um, people have often speculated when Beethoven wrote the Sixth Symphony, um, he had tinnitus, his hearing was going, he had mm. written his Heiligenschat testimony, which was his suicide note. Um, mm. that he never actually pulled the trigger on metaphorically and literally. And, and, and so the storm, this is to add, you can talk to your daughter about this. The storm in Beethoven sixth is superficially a, a storm, but it is also um, his interior, like mm. emotional, like, being trauma. honest about his emotional trauma. Um, as he realized, like in his Heiligenstadt testimony, what he says is when he's kind of shaking his fist at, at God, he says, how is it that the faculty which in me is of greater sensitivity than in any other, that is my ear, God has taken from me? Um, mm. And uh, The God and so, who, who gives and takes away. Yeah. Blessed be the name of the Lord, nevertheless. Yeah. Um, so, so Beethoven several times writes kind of the famous fist, like shaken fist to God is, of course, the, the motif in his fifth symphony, da, 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 da. But, but it, more subtle is that storm in the sixth symphony and in the string quartet, he, he has a storm and then a thanksgiving to God after the storm where, I mean, it's like the, the, it's like the steps of mourning, right? Like um, yeah. once, once you're done with anger and you have acceptance, then, then there's kind of a, grat- a newfound gratitude that sets in like, I mean, at least I still have my pen and my faculties and I, I can still write music. Which the sixth, oh. I would commend to to our listeners. If if you've never heard Beethoven's sixth, uh, like look it up on YouTube and and, and listen slash watch it. Um, it's it's really beautiful. Like it 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 uh, was not my f- early favorite um, because it's not as bombastic. Perhaps mm-hmm. it's more subtle. Um, 
but yeah, uh, it, it starts out um, soft and beautifully, um, moves into other parts as a, a dance, and then a thunderstorm, and then ends just just beautifully and um, simply. And that last movement after the storm is mm-hmm. really, um, it's transporting. Um, yeah. It's his, um, so the horn, horn has kind of this pastoral theme. And it actually, do you know what ends? The, the only time that Beethoven asks for any muted brass, at the very end, you have a muted horn. Um, that, that, that final horn call comes back and you, you'll hear a mute on it. So, but that's interesting pointless trivia we've asked yes. is yeah, if Kirk, anyone Kirk, is still on. listening yes. that's a, thank it's you. amazing thank we'll... you for for i have one more thing um okay. i uh I, I neglected to mention that we also listened to one of my favorite symphonies um which is uh it's kind of remark it's remarkable and worth noting because it's like outside the german composers or the uh, certainly uh, you know the austrian kind of full dimitri shostakovich uh actually not <laughs> we'll, we'll get accent. there well, right. we'll get there. Uh, okay. But Tchaikovsky's fifth. I love yes. Tchaikovsky's fifth. Um, so, like, she got to to hear that. So, all right, Kirk, you ready to move on to our gospel lesson? I absolutely am. This week's gospel comes from John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the Lord from, I'm sorry, they're not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, a full, a full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. 
This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, Kirk, we talked last week about how uh, the end of John 20 is, is kind of a, a sensible ending of the gospel. Like it kind of wraps things up. It's this kind of apex. It's this highlight. And it indicates um, kind of like, here's my purpose for writing this. Um, and, and John, of course, emphasized belief. Um, like I, this is all testimony so that you may believe. And so uh, I, I mentioned that uh, the 21st chapter um, perhaps was written later. Um, it certainly seems that like things closed out and this may be like an epilogue that was either um, that he added a little bit later, but it certainly wasn't that much later because the early church never saw it as something like tacked on um, as, as something that uh, is not part of the gospel. Um, and uh, it's, it's also interesting, like it, it actually kind of fits as an epilogue. So he's got the, like the whole theme of like, believe in Jesus, this, um, this, I am this, this God, this Yahweh of the old Testament um, is manifested in the flesh in Jesus Christ in these ways. And you are the work uh, of God is to believe in him whom God sent in, in his son, Jesus Christ. Um, and that's a huge theme. However, um, <laughs> a big part of, of the end of the Gospels, uh, what comes at the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, the um, is the Great Commission. The Great Commission, Kirk. Which comes obviously, before the Ascension. Yep. <laughs> right, right. Right. Yeah. So obviously the Ascension, but, you know, you know, they're kind of one thing. It's one thing. Yeah. yeah, they're kind of one thing. Like, uh, and um, although we sort of have a great commission, um, John in John twenty, G, uh, Jesus says, "Even so, am I sending you?" Right, and then he breathed the, the Holy Spirit on them. Uh, Kirk, this both a uh, great commission and a little Pentecost, kind yeah. of all woven together. Yeah, but this chapter, Kirk. Um, This chapter is is kind of the Great Commission. So it's many things, you know. It's it's uh, it, it continues, and we of course Peter has a chance to um, affirm his love for Jesus three times. It's like you know Peter's makeup <laughs> for denying him three times. But here in this passage, um, we have the disciples <laughs> who will soon be called what Kirk apostles. Apostles. And the word apostle means. Sent ones. sent ones. These people sent yeah. out. Yes. People commissioned by Jesus and sent out um, in his name uh, to make disciples. Uh, and uh, what did Jesus say he was going to teach them to do uh, way back at the beginning of John? Uh, make them fishers of men. Yeah. He's going to teach them to fish for people. And he, here they are um, fishing. And how many fish do they catch, Kirk? Uh, you, you don't have in front of you, 153 of of them, 153 of them. And Jerome helpfully tells us that, um, this was the highly specific, (laughs) this Kirk Jerome tells us that at the time, even at the time of Jerome, there were 153 known species of fish. 
in, in the, in the world. Like that, that is what the science of the day was like, we can identify 153 fish. So what do you suppose the 153 fish that are caught in the net represent? Um, like everything that is all, all of humanity, all yes, of humanity, all the nations, yeah. the fullness yeah. of the apostolic mission. Exactly. That, that, that Jesus has called and will impact them to do this. And this is what one scholar really pointed out was that uh, this is kind of a mirror image of the earlier story where they are out casting their nets and they catch nothing. Um, here, um, when they are uh, sort of commissioned by Jesus and, um, you know, Jesus who says in John 16, apart from me, me you can do nothing. Is that John 16? Jesus, anyway, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing, that when we are working with Christ, um, that he brings in the harvest, this apostolic harvest. The nations will come in by the power of Jesus Christ. And not only that, they do it together. Um, that's another thing emphasized is that this is um, this is something that, they, that some work that God does. And in one particular meditation that I was reading on this passage was, was just that... Um, Like we in the West uh, have all these sophisticated uh, evangelistic tools and discipleship tools and conferences and all this um, acquired knowledge on it. And yet uh, he points out that like the conversion rate in, in the smarty pants parts of the world is like 1.7%. He points to like one particular spot that like there are that amount of new believers who are actually coming to faith. It's pretty low. And he says, isn't it interesting that without resources, the only resource being the Holy Spirit and God's work in like the third world, like, like there are places where there are massive revivals mm. that we ought not to rely on our own uh, <laughs> cleverness or wisdom, but like that, that through the power of God, um, the nations will come into the fold. Uh, and nations come into the fold, Kirk, I, I hope that comes to mind the, the college for mission. Um, where we asked God to bring uh, the nations into the stretched out his, hard, his arms on the hardwood of the cross that all nations might. I'm struggling. Is it yeah. something like that? It may start that way, yeah. or you may be, we may be conflating two different ones. That's the but, third collect for mission. Yeah. And so, uh, I mean, there are some lots of technical things we could talk about. Um, sea of Tiberias, of course, is Galilee. And some people ask, wait, didn't Jesus tell him to wait? For in Jerusalem for the power on high. Well, they're not reading all that carefully because uh, in both Matthew and Mark, Jesus tells them that he will see them in Galilee. And so, like, why were they there? Well, it could be because Jesus told them to go there. And also could be that, like, dudes got to eat. Right. <laughs> and they're, and they're, they were fishermen. And as they're waiting for the power from on high to, to come upon them, um, that they're like, hey, let's, let's go catch some fish. Uh, let's we need some food. What, what can we do? We can go uh, and, and we can fish. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll stop there and kind of give you an opportunity to comment. Well, I would, I would also have to imagine that, that, that no matter how faithfully they parsed his words from the last week of his life, um, what was to come could not have been clear <laughs> in sure. the weeks after his resurrection. Um, because right. He appears um, he, he appears to the women. He appears in the upper room. Uh, he appears, uh, uh, to, uh, to on, the, on the road to Emmaus. And then he appears later, um, in the upper room again, when Thomas is there. Um, but we have, but 
I mean, if you think of, of all of his teachings in the last, in the last week, um, you know, there are parables of sheep and goats <laughs> and wedding feasts and like, and now he's gone and like a lot of it's hopeful and was it all for nothing? But in the meantime, we have these lives that we left and we can't just like, I mean, do you sit and wait for what exactly a wedding feast? Like, you know what I mean? Just a lot of metaphors in the parables. <laughs> and what do you do with that? In the meantime, we're fishermen. So let's go, uh, let's go, let's go pay some, pay some and, and these guys that are mentioned, the, these are largely Galileans. Right. Right. So yeah. they're going home. Right? Yeah. They're going home. Um, it's interesting. We have these 40 days and we know it's 40 days. And that's mentioned several times between his, uh, the Easter and Ascension, day, the resurrection and the Ascension. And, and John records, we see here in the last verse here, verse 14 of chapter 21, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So we have these 40 days worth of, of appearances. And this is what John's got for us. It's interesting what he chooses. So what, is he, what does he share with us? They're, they're kind of notable details. First of all, um, I've, from the time I was a child, Christopher, I was uh, um, captivated by the mystical nature of these resurrection appearances, right? Mm. So, so something is is transfigured, right? We see we see his transfiguration on the mountaintop in the week before his crucifixion, but something now is further transfigured, right? We see several places on the road to Emmaus. They did not know that it was him. We see here in John. That's in that's in Luke. Um, that's in, yeah. in Luke's account in John's and account here. We see Ma Mary um, Magdalene does not recognize him until he says she thinks he was a gardener until he's, he, she, he says Mary mm -hmm. and she says Raboni. Yep. And, and we see here again, then that's in chapter 20. We see here in, in chapter 21, um, in verse five, Jesus said to them, uh, children, do you have any fish? They say, no, cast the net on the right side. They cast. Um, then, then John, the disciple who, whom Jesus loved, right? That's always when John, the author of the himself, gospel, yep. right? Um, he says to Peter, it is the Lord, right? So we have this whole interaction and then there's a delayed recognition. Yeah. Um, and, and this is, uh, this is, it's interesting to me. It's interesting to me. And you tie that in John, John leaves other breadcrumbs here. And I don't think we're, we're supposed to, I don't think we're supposed to do too much with it. Um, like when Mary, Mary says, um, Mary grabs onto him in the previous chapter in John right. 20, he says, don't, do don't not, hold do on to me. Grab hold to me for I've not yet ascended to my father. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I'm not, I don't think we're under too much pressure to, to, to kind of interpret that and I don't gain further insight, but, but it's interesting. There's something mystical now, right? This 40, these 40 days are an in-between time. Right. He has not yet ascended unto his father. He says in John, like, that's an important thing for that is the final finish line for him to cross. Um, but as we sang, you know, on Easter day, the strife is o'er, the mm. battle's on, uh, battle's done. There's a like finality at Easter. So this is, I love John chapter 21 because it's this long goodbye, this glorious in between time. Like the victory has been determined, right? This is the epilogue. You think of the Lord of the Rings. Um, there's an enormous chapter after chapter um, after the ring has been cast into Mount Doom, um, after the eagles have flown, Bilbo and Frodo, 
back to Rivendell um, and they kind of heal and come back to their senses. Um, you, you, Frodo wakes up, right? It's not, it's unclear whether he'll survive. He wakes up and there's this glorious reunion and, um, and there's this long goodbye before Frodo um, needs to sail away with the elves, right? And this is to me, um, this is like that, this long, lovely goodbye. Um, we get some wistfulness, not in this passage, we get some wistfulness later with Peter, um, but this is mostly joy. But also it's mystical, right? Then he's gone, right? He's there, you don't know when he's gonna appear and then he's gone. Um, I, again, I don't know if there's any, any larger lesson, but it's lovely that he's spending this time with his disciples. And, and as we see, St. Paul testifies that what he appeared in these 40 days to over 400. Mm -hmm. So it, there's some, I don't remember the number. That's in first Corinthians 15. Okay. Yeah. There's, so there's yeah. some unrecorded appearances as well. If um, I mean, St. Paul, obviously we are to believe him. Right. So. Right. Yeah. I was going to look up that number, but that's not important. Uh, I think it's, I think it's 400, but 400. Um, Kirk, I'm surprised you didn't mention, you mentioned the joy of Peter how like he shouts it is the lord i'm sorry and he Sh puts his clothes says, back on sorry, john says that <laughs> they've been redneck redneck fishing as you pointed out a few weeks ago right um and you know he's naked well like not quite but like he's got a like he's stripped for work and um right. he, so he put on his outer garment and he threw himself into the sea like i love that that yeah. zeal right like it, it's the lord um and and he just leaps out of the boat and and um like he can't wait for the boat to take him in he wants to, to see and embrace his lord um that's beautiful love it absolutely there's and and there's something almost proto-eucharistic um here at the yes. end of this passage yes. a meal um, together yes and he took uh jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish um, you know, all we would have to say changes and likewise with the cup and, and we have, we have here a, a, like a full Eucharist, but yeah, so there's, yeah, the binding nature of a meal with our Lord. Absolutely. Yeah. Kirk, I've got a correction for you. Um, first Corinthians 15 verse six, How many? then he appeared to more than 500 brothers Five. at one time, most of whom are still alive. Well, some have fallen asleep. 500. Right? Now it's interesting. I don't know if this is we're not studying this and I, I haven't done the textual work here. Um, but the English, the English standard version, uh, the next verse is then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. So is that saying he appeared to have 500 between appearing to Cephas and then the 12 and then J Oh, never mind. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know J which James that would be anyway. That's neither here nor there, but that's first Corinthians 15. But I mean, the point is, he, he had these 40 that. days between his resurrection and ascension where he, he made appearances. Yeah, so John is in the inner circle, right? Peter, James, and John. John, the author here. So he, um, and these are the, the resurrection appearances that he chose to record. Um, and, and, and yet that, that, that tantalizing nugget from St. Paul indicates that there were, there were obviously others, right? And, mm -hmm. and, to, and to the out, like other outer circles, right? Mm -hmm. Not just the three, not just the 12, um, but others. So, I mean, Kirk, when you think of, you know, the road to Emmaus, um, it refers to them as disciples. Right. These two, one is unnamed. The other one is Cleopas. Right. It's, he is not one of the 12. He's not named as one of the 12 right. disciples. So, so there, yeah, there, there are, were circles within circles. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 
other 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 thoughts on this on this lovely long goodbye here no shall we move on to our theology segment let's do it For our theology segment today, we are going to look at a feast day that happens to fall on Sunday, May 1st, which will be the third Sunday of Easter. And Christopher, of all the <laughs> feast days on our calendar, um, and this it is proper and fitting, I think, that we that we mark uh, the lives of these saints, speaking of like inner circles, right? Mm -hmm. um, these, however, are apostles and disciples of whom we do not know much. And we are talking about Philip and James apostles. Christopher, what Philip and James are we talking about here? Because <laughs> I am going to lean heavily on you to disambiguate um, these. Because Christopher, do we have a lot of Philip and James's appearing in the in the New Testament? I'm not sure a lot, but certainly enough where it's easy <laughs> to get mixed up. Yes. Uh, and so you mentioned uh, the this inner circle that Jesus have, has, like the most inner circle is Peter, James, and John. These three that go up the mountain with him uh, and that, that witness the transfiguration. And, and of course, we know that Simon Peter um, had a brother, Andrew, but he was not, you know, part of this inner circle. Um, and uh, but th that inner circle, um, John was the... Uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the author of John, the author of the Johannine, Johannine, Johannine epistles, first John, second John, third John, and the same John who, who um, wrote Revelation, which is um, in the lectionary uh, this uh, year C. Permit me a brief tangent. Yes. Even though we're not talking about him. Um, sometimes when you'll see churches um, dedicated as St. John the Divine, that is specifically focusing on his authorship as the author of revelation the author of revelation oftentimes being referred to as saint john the divine and kind of more squishy scholarship um questions whether that was actually written by john the apostle and so sometimes Which, that is to be fair to them it, it was a question that was raised yeah. in the early church sure. but and and there were even early church fathers who did not believe that that J, that they're the right. same person but largely the church did affirm that 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 yeah. was the same author yeah and that might be a difference uh, in in i gather between the church east and, east and west um law for us in the west in the catholic and protestant tradition revelation has loomed large in our imagination and our hermeneutic and I gather less so in the East. Hmm. I gather that I've heard. I've never like taken a class from an Orthodox priest or anything. So, so we're not so, talking about St. John though. Back to James. Right, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> so we're talking about the ones that it's not, but, but it's worth bringing up those. So yeah. John was James's brother, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Right. Uh, James, who um, was known to have sort of a fiery uh, temper. Um, the this Thunder was a Boys. James, the sons of thunder. Right. Um, the, these uh and james was uh, killed by by herod um 
in, in Acts, we, we see that happen. Um, and some people think it was, it was sort of due to his temper. Um, so this is, so that's known as James, the, 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 the greater or James St. Uh, yeah. Um, where uh, there's another James who's the brother of Jesus, uh, who is the author of the, um, of, of the book of James. Um, that straw epistle. I'm kidding. It's not a straw <laughs> epistle. Um, uh, but Luther called it that. Uh, um, and uh, let me see. So it's not that one. It's not the brother of the Lord. It's not the son of Zebedee. Uh, and thus this James, uh, the son of Alpheus, that's who this is. Son of Alpheus, um, who we know of also as James the Less. Kirk, how would you like that uh, distinction? Like Kirk the Less. So we've Kirk the Great, but you're <laughs> Kirk the Less. Now that may be to distinguish him from, from the other Jameses, you know, like James the Just or, or the, the brother of our Lord um, was the one who presided at the, at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. He had this, this remarkably um, important position in the early church um, as Bishop of Jerusalem. And, uh, and so like to be called James the less in comparison to them, it, it's okay. It's not the worst thing. It also may refer to his uh, more diminutive stature. And that's an okay thing as well. Um, so that's, that's who this James is. And we don't have a lot about this James in scripture. Now, as we're talking about Philip Kirk, uh, we, um, we, you and I have talked a fair amount about, uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts. Right. This is a that is a different Philip than this Philip right. the the um, Phil, uh, Philip the uh, apostle is who we're talking about today. The, that, that Philip is Philip the evangelist. Philip the apostle, um, as you pointed out before we hit record, um, uh, we, we there are some memorable parts in scripture, um, and this is essentially what we know about him is what we find in scripture, is that. Um, he kind of asks some important questions leading up to the feeding of the 5,000 um, where he points out uh, like, what are we going to do? How are we going to feed all these people? It would take um, a 200 denarii would not be enough to feed these people. And also um, at the last supper, again, these disciples ask questions that Jesus, I don't know if he was impatient in the, in this, in this time, but it's, it's a helpful teaching tool for us and for the early church. Um, where he, uh, Philip asks Jesus, Lord, show us the father and we shall be satisfied. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long? And yet you do not know me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the father. That's, that's in John 14. So we see him speaking in both John six and John, John 14. So that's the Philip yes. we're talking about Philip and James, the less. <laughs> yeah. And, um, there, there are several other feast days that we get throughout the, the, the church year that are like this, Christopher, where we're just given kind of a, a few tantalizing breadcrumbs to piece some things together. And that's okay. Um, uh, Bartholomew is one of those. Um, uh, so so St. Bartholomew's Day, um, we, like, like the, 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 gospel, the appointed gospel for that is usually like, it gives us like the, the, the one reference there. Um, Saint Simon and Jude. Um, that's another another feast day, which comes very near uh, my son Simon's birthday. Mm, that's usually that's in cool. the end of October, and that we we're, we're again not it'd be it'd be harder if we didn't refer to Simon Peter as Peter 
you'd be like, well, which Simon is this or Simon Peter? And, you know, yeah. So with the, with the various Jameses, um, there's, there's some things that we'll just never know for certain until, until you and I, Christopher have a, have, have a friend that, 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 that he, he humorously speculates that, that at the end of all things, at the resurrection of the dead, like the apostles will have like booths where you can go ask questions. <laughs> this is, this is maybe and we could the... say, we could say, James, were you the one who watched <laughs> the crucifixion from a distance with Mary and the other woman? Right. Was or is that <laughs> so this, that's so funny that you, that you brought that up. Um, uh, in our tradition, sorry, in the West, it is, it is often believed that James's mother is, James Celeste's mother, is none other than Mary of Clopas, who's identified as the one of the women at the foot of the cross weeping. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and, uh, and in fact, a, a scholar of, a favorite scholar of yours, who, whom you often cite, D.A. Carson, mm. um, uh, concludes that as, as well. And so th- th- there are times when, if, if you look closely, and you can piece some things together. You do see some some family relations here, um, and so because of that, uh, there are. Uh, let me see. Um, given the fact that the Semitic word for brother is also a word that's yeah, used yeah. for other close relatives, which I don't right. I don't know Hebrew, right? So so that might that might make him then the brother of Matthew the apostle, hmm. right? Since the father of both was named Alpheus. That's if you. That's if you conclude that he is the same as James, the son of Alpheus. So, if you're um, confused by this point, <laughs> it's okay. The church has very carefully and hesitantly kind of gone no further than Scripture um, mm. relates, and we shouldn't either. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting that the gospel writers do record these family relationships and find it notable, right? John records specific people at the foot of the cross. Why? Because it's, these may very well be family relations, right? Mm. Um, family relations of the 12. And so it's just kind of, it. that's a neat and tender detail. Even as at the cross, Jesus gives a yes. like sort of a new a teaching, new right? Family. Yeah. Yes. In, in Mother Christ, your we have son. this new family. Yes. Yes. Yeah. To, to gives gives Mary to John and John to Mary. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I I I think that's lovely. And also, Christopher, I'm 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 put in mind of the Old Testament lesson, one of the only times in um in our tradition in, in Anglicanism, Christopher, in which we get an apocryphal lesson for the Old Testament is All Saints Day, right? And we get the Ecclesiasticus mm-hmm. lesson, let us now praise famous men, um, which which says like there are there are men 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 of renown of the past, right? Who I'm doing this from memory, Christopher. Do you remember this reading? Um, this was yeah, this but was I, one I of the lessons at, at pop-ups, um, mm. at, at, at our grandfather's funeral, right? Men of great renown who wrote songs, who fought battles, who built cities, who did who did things, and whose names are etched in stone. And then there's there are those whose uh, whose names are not remembered. Um, but they are they are no less beloved of God and were no less important in their day um, to their family and their their faith is and, and their faith in God's eyes is is not any less than those famous men. Right. And and I think of that when we see these these, dare we say, lesser saints, <laughs> but yet uh, we don't know a lot about them. Uh, but it's notable that they were recorded. It was they were they were important enough for James to I'm sorry, for John to mention their name for 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 luke to mention their name in acts 
And so I think it's great that the church. And Kirk, another instant correction for you. It was not Ecclesiasticus, it's Sirach. Isn't that also called Ecclesiasticus? Or am I just Ooh, like are you leaving call- a, an entire trail of error in my wake? Sometimes called Ecclesiasticus. Yes. Bam. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> Correct the correction. Let us now <laughs> sing the praises of famous men, our ancestors in their generations. Yes. You done good, Kirk. Well, thank you. Any any other thoughts on this, Christopher? I guess um, in just a moment, I'm going to say the colic from this feast day. So pay particular attention. Can we say this as well? Um, this is all within the context of Easter. Mm. Um, Sunday, May 1st, will be the feast of um, St. Philip and St. James. Um, but it's also the third Sunday of Easter in which we have this lovely season of, of feasting of celebrating our lord's resurrection um so and, let's not forget that and to quote our our friend and former uh guest on the show um sir andrew sir sir andrew the reverend andrew defusco uh, who said in th- there are no dead in christ um that that are hoping in the resurrection uh that, that that is that was part of the the reason he included for um asking um uh, these men to pray for us um, because he said there are none dead in Christ. So yeah. as we remember saints, we, we acknowledge that there that there are none dead in Christ. Amen. Amen. I love it. Shall we end Shall in we pray? pray? Let's do it. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Let us pray. Almighty God, you gave your only son to be for us, both a sacrifice for sin and an example of godly living. Give us grace, thankfully, to receive his inestimable benefits and daily to follow the blessed steps of his most holy life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Almighty God, you gave to your apostles, Philip and James, the grace and strength to bear witness to Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. Grant that we, being mindful of their victory of faith, may glorify in life and death the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Next week, Kirk. Next week.